Hey folks, I'm so glad you've taken the time to join us today. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. A few years ago, my wife Sarah and I decided we needed a vacation. So Sarah went online and booked us a beautiful old farmhouse in the Ottawa Valley for a week. It said in the description, waterfront with a beach. So we drove seven hours to get there, only to find out that the farmhouse was like many of the farmhouses in our area, in the middle of a cornfield, and the lake was nowhere to be seen. We had to walk or drive down this long driveway to the lake, and the beach was actually full of this slimy algae, and the kids didn't want to swim. There was a little disappointment, but mom and dad stepped up and we made the best out of, uh, out of our vacation. We planned a bunch of day trips around the area. Now this might sound rather minor compared to other disappointments, but a disappointment nonetheless. How many of you have ever felt disappointed? Maybe you are in a season of disappointment right now. We all face disappointments. Maybe you miss seeing your family and friends, or maybe you had to cancel a vacation that you were really looking forward to. It might be a loved one who is really sick at the moment. It might be a family member struggling with mental health. It might be a marriage that's kind of on the rocks. What do you do when you're disappointed in life? Disappointed in life? How do you find hope when there's so much disappointment? For some of you, if you're honest, you don't know how much more, even in this moment, you can take. Just when you think you've hit rock bottom, there seems to be a new low. And you're exhausted. What do you do when you're discouraged and close to losing hope? Well, if you're just joining us, we are in a series walking through the Gospel of Luke. And our series is entitled, Investigating Jesus. Our hope is that we will help answer your questions about Jesus who he is, how he lived, and what he taught. And my prayer today is that God will stir in your heart a fresh sense of hope as we look at our story. Now, there are many artists who explode on the music scene only to never be heard of again. Today, we're going to look at what I'll call a one-hit wonder. It's actually a priest named Zachariah. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them out, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 67. So let me catch you up to speed. Who is Zechariah? What we learn about Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, uh, we meet a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were righteous in the eyes of God. Zechariah is an ordinary person. He's a priest and a godly man. But he lives with this deep pain and disappointment. Zechariah carries a private pain. Luke says they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. In our culture, there's a lot of pain around infertility. In that culture, it was even worse. In those days, if you couldn't have a child, it was believed that God was punishing you for your sin. So not only didn't you experience the blessing of children, you lived with this disgrace from the community. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they've been carrying around this pain for decades. Many of you have been carrying around perhaps private pain for a long time. Maybe it's broken relationship. Maybe it's trauma from childhood. So many of us have private pain. And the great thing about the Bible is we read time and time again of real people who face real pain, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth. But one day while Zachariah is serving in the temple, an angel of the Lord appears and tells him that you're going to have a son. 
God had heard their prayer. This is the moment Zechariah had been praying for for decades. This is also the moment that the nation of Israel had been praying for. You see, for centuries, because the angel had now told Zechariah that they would have a son that was going to be prepare the way for the Savior. So this was the fulfillment of all of Israel's prayer. His son would be the one who will turn the people back to God. The one who will prepare the way for God's Messiah, God's chosen one. And Zechariah's response is kind of interesting. For whatever reason, Zechariah doesn't believe God. Somewhere down the line, he kind of lost hope. He lost hope that God could do a miracle. He lost hope that God was bigger than his pain. He lost hope that God could give him a new future. I'm guessing some of you, even listening today, are in that place right now. But God doesn't leave him without hope. God doesn't want us to live without hope. And in this moment, Zechariah is doubting. And as a result, God causes him to be mute until the child's born, which meant uh, it was really quiet around the house for nine months for Elizabeth because Zechariah couldn't speak. And during those nine months, Zechariah was in some transformation internally. See, in his silence, he learns how to listen to God. He reflects on his life. He, he thinks about his pain. He learns to see things from another perspective. See, silence has a way of recalibrating our hearts. It helps filter out the noise around us. In fact, Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Zechariah was a righteous man. He was a good man, but that couldn't sustain him. Only God can do that. See, God wasn't punishing Zechariah with his silence. God was doing something within him. And finally, the promised son was born. Nine months later, the son was born, and Zechariah names him John, just as the angel had told him to. And then he breaks out in a song of praise. So, Luke chapter 1, 67 to 80, we are going to look at this one-hit wonder as he worships God. And I want to read the entire passage, and then I want to pull out and unpack a few things. So, verse 67, we read. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said to the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will, be, you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, each line of this song is loaded with deep truth. Zachariah is so excited that God has come at last. God is doing a new thing in Israel. Israel had been waiting in silence for 400 years, and God had finally answered their prayers. Hope is breaking into the darkness. And filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within him, Zechariah pours out from his heart. And what comes out is a declaration of God's purpose of his coming. The first thing he sings about is this. He sings of God's saving purpose. 
Zechariah mentions this in a few places. This comes out in four different ways. The first is the price to free us has been paid. Verse 68, he says, he has come to his people and redeemed them. God has visited us. God, the creator of everything, has shown his care for us by drawing near. He comes to redeem or to liberate us. He has come at extreme cost to himself to free us from a slavery of sin and death. Secondly, he speaks of the power to accomplish our salvation. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The horn of an animal is a symbol of strength, of sheer brute power. I want you to think of of the horns of a bull and the power behind that. To say that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us means that we have a mighty, powerful Savior who has the power to finish what he starts for us. He has the power to save us. Thirdly, he says, the victory over our enemies is assured. Verse 71, he has raised up salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Zechariah's focus is practical and spiritual. The people of Israel were looking looking for God to deliver them from the hands of the Romans. But God had even more important things in the works. God will deliver us from our worst enemies of sin and death and hell and demonic powers. The hero God would send would have no trouble conquering our enemies. And fourthly, he speaks of erasing all of our offenses in verse 77, to give his people knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Zachariah is telling us that God did not become man in Jesus to simply come and check things out. He didn't come to teach parables and just be a good moral teacher. He knew how we were doing. We were lost in our sin and rebellion. We were living apart from him in trouble. That's why he came. We were in trouble and he came to save us. He came to erase all our sins, not some, not partial, but all of our sin, and we stand before God blameless. See, Zechariah sings of God's purpose of saving us. The second purpose, Zechariah says, is he sings of prophecies fulfilled. The prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, he prophesied in Malachi 1, he says this, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah is declaring that God keeps his promises. All that he said he would do, he has started and he will accomplish. Zechariah emphasizes that what God was doing would be fulfilled. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. That's verse 70. Zechariah is telling us something that makes God distinct from all other gods, all other religions, all other worldviews. He establishes God's lordship over time for us by attaching him to his promises that he has made. I want you to catch this. There are 456 distinct prophecies and signs in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus comes on the scene to identify the Messiah, the deliverer. deliverer. And guess who fulfilled them all? Jesus did. So hear me, God does what he says in his time, in his way, for his glory and for our good. So Zechariah sings of prophecies fulfilled. And thirdly, Zechariah sings of God's transforming power. Remember, Zechariah is moved and filled with the Holy Spirit and sings of the great things the Messiah brings to those who trust in him for salvation and who follow him. 
there would be spiritual transformation. Verse 74, for those who serve him, there will be emotional transformation, also in verse 74, to serve him without fear. And there will be behavioral transformation, verse 75, in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. Now, I ask you a question, how many of you have ever run on a treadmill? I'm sure many of you have. I absolutely hate running. I even hate running on a treadmill even more. It feels like an exercise of futility. I mean, you aren't getting anywhere. You're kind of like the mouse on the wheel, running round and around and around. For so many people, that is how they live their lives. They live lives of quiet kind of desperation. They live out of an existence on a treadmill of futility. And they're wondering what difference it all makes. But in this moment, Zachariah sees the end to all of that in God's deliverer. Jesus would come and change everything. He came so that all those lost in sin might be saved. He came so that all those who serve the master of self might then serve God, our creator. He came so that all those who fear God's judgment might be reconciled to him. He came so that all those who felt the disconnection in our lives with no purpose might have life abundantly in him. He came so that all those who once could not please God might be pleasing to him forever. He came so that all those who were unholy might be made holy through Jesus. Zechariah understood that the one coming, Jesus Christ, would bring transformation in the lives of those who submit themselves to him. So he sings of the transforming power. And fourthly and lastly, he sings of Jesus' impact. Zachariah's solo closes in verses 78 and 79 with this crescendo of praise about the light that God is focusing on the world. He uses three visual illustrations to help us understand the impact the coming Savior, Jesus, would make. He calls the dawn of heavenly sunlight. He calls this out in verse 78. The dawn from on high will visit us. If you've ever seen a beautiful sunrise, you know exactly what he's talking about. Everything is dark. You can't see anything clearly. Even sometimes your eyes are playing tricks on you in the, in the dim light. And then the sun breaks through and things become clear. Zechariah is saying, finally, the sun has broken the horizon on this dark world. Secondly, he said, it is, it is the end of hopelessness. In verse 79, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. I want you to picture someone on death row, hopeless, pining away beyond all human rescue, and then suddenly light and freedom comes their way. And thirdly, it is guidance to an amazing end. Also in verse 79, he says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the difference that Jesus Christ makes. When he comes into our lives, the shadows flee away. When he comes in, you are released from prison forever. When he comes in, our feet walk the path of peace with God. Jesus makes real impact and transformation in our lives. You see, this is a song of an old man who just had a miracle happen in his life. All his disappointments were met with hope of the God who would send our rescuer. I don't want you to miss the point of his solo. God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Zachariah is singing of our hope that was breaking into the darkness. So as we wrap up today, I started by asking if you've ever been disappointed. Are you facing disappointment now? What do you do 
when you're disappointed in life? How do you find hope when there's so much disappointment? Once again, God had been silent for 400 years with his people to this point. Zechariah had been silent for nine months. Well, what, what is the significance of this? It's significant because, and I want you to catch this, what may seem like God's silence may in fact be God's preparation. What may seem like God forgetting his promises may in fact be God getting ready for his plan. God's timing is always perfect. So don't think that just because God is silent that he doesn't care. God's silence may be preparing you for something new. Maybe some of your plans fell through this year and you're kind of heartbroken. But maybe God is helping you to see some new opportunities. Maybe you're dealing with challenging relationships. But maybe God is using it to grow your love and your patience. Maybe you're discouraged and overwhelmed. Maybe God is calling you to deepen your faith in him. Even when life is hard and it feels like God is silent, don't lose hope. I want you to remember that God has not left you. God keeps his promises. Zechariah was a righteous man who loved God, but over time he had lost hope. There was too much pain in the world and in his own life, so God gives him the gift of silence to help him filter out the noise and to see what's really important. So today I want to encourage you. Perhaps this is your first time hearing about Jesus and the hope that Jesus offers. Maybe you're listening and this is your thousandth time hearing about Jesus and his love and his hope. And no matter where you are in your spiritual journey with God, I want to challenge you. As you finish listening today, take time to be silent so that you can filter out the noise and see what's really important. Take time to wait and listen to what God is saying to you. By doing so, you can remember God's saving purpose hasn't changed, God's transforming power hasn't diminished, and the impact he wants to make in your life through Jesus is still strong. And the truth is, our righteousness, our good works, our good deeds can't sustain us. Only Jesus can sustain us. And so he invites us into a relationship with him. Why don't you join with me as we pray? God, I thank you that you are gracious, that you are loving, that you are kind. God, I thank you that you are personal. And God, I know there are those listening today who are living in disappointment. Maybe it is a relationship that is disappointed them. Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe it is a job loss. Wherever they find themselves today, I pray that they would take a moment to sit and listen to what you are saying to them. And for some of you, that might seem real weird, but God wants to be involved in your life. So God, I pray that as they wait on you, that you would show yourself to be a God who hears, a God who saves, and a God who transforms, a God who sustains us. We love you, Jesus. God bless you, my friends. I hope you have a great week. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions. Take care. Talk to you later.